Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Honestly, Let's Talk. Now, if you've been following my podcast for a while, you know that Todd has been doing these for a couple of weeks and a couple of months and almost a year now. But it's 2021. I wanted to do something totally different. And I thought, you know, I'm tired of me just finding people to interview. Instead, I want to have a co-host again. I want to have somebody I can spend time with and we can talk about a variety of topics. And when I was thinking about, you know, who do I want to do that with? I was like, I'd want somebody who's not afraid of the controversial, who isn't afraid to have the hard conversations, who isn't afraid to be honest and vulnerable. And there was one name that immediately came to my mind. And I was so excited when I reached out. She was like, yes, I'm in. And that is Johora, Johora, I'm so excited to have you as my co-host now. Yes, Todd, you flatter me. <laughs> I don't shy away from the controversial, not I. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm addicted to your Instagram stories. Like I watch them just so I can feel invigorated and like, I got this. I'm going to go out and get somebody. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you so much for just including me in this. Um, I... Love, like you said, talking on my Instagram story is about just whatever pops up into my head. Um, but it's so cool to have like someone to riff off of when it's your Instagram stories. It's just you and your thoughts. But I just thought it'd be such a great opportunity for me to get to spend some time with my friend. Uh huh. And then also for us to just, again, tackle those difficult conversations that sometimes it's easier to do with a partner by your side. Well, you know, you're so right. And for everybody listening right now, you know, me and Jahora met um, right before the pandemic shut everything down. Jahora was helping out with our Get Your Lead on Denver. And that was literally, I think we both flew home after that. And then the whole country closed down and we've all been at home since. And But you got to go to the national conference. I didn't because I've got two newborns at home, two little boys. Um, so I missed getting to see you there and everybody else. But that's kind of how Jahora and I know each other. And some of you may be checking this out for the first time. So we thought we'd introduce ourselves before we even get started with today's topic. Now, this is called episode one because we're restarting the whole thing. This is a brand new style, brand new thing. So this is our new episode one. And I'm Todd Nesloni. Um, I've been in education for almost two decades now. I've served as wow. a little, little bit of time. And two decades. Okay, yeah, I, it's so awkward to say that because it makes you feel real old real fast. Um, but I've been a teacher, I've been a principal, and I have the joy now of serving leaders across the state of Texas with um, TEPSA. Um, and in addition to that, I'm a new dad, which I am loving that role so much. And it's teaching me so much about myself um, and about unconditional love. Um, I'm a husband to my wife, Liz. Um, I'm a brother. Hey, I'm a son. Um, I love reading, even though I get to do it even less right now in my life. But I love reading. And I'm a total Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Prime Video, Voodoo, Junkie, like HBO Max, you name it. I've got a favorite show on each one of them. I'm a total junkie for television. So that's me. Jahora, how about, tell us about you. Absolutely. So my name is Jahora Warren. Um, I was dubbed as Sojo during the pandemic. A lot of yeah. weird things happened during the pandemic. We all kind of gravitated to Instagram. And so people shortened my name to Sojo. And I kind of like it. I kind of <laughs> dig it. Um, but you can call me Jahora or Sojo. I am starting my eighth year 
of education. And I am going to be um, a fifth grade teacher, which I have been for, this is year number four in fifth grade, um, in the gifted inclusion classroom where I teach ELA. So reading is my jam, reading is my heart. I love reading and writing and social studies. And those are the topics that I cover in my classroom. I am the mom of two children. So I have a five-year-old. He's going to be starting kindergarten at my school this year. I'm so excited. And by the way, I, I hate to interrupt you, but I have to tell people, you have the most adorable two children on. I, I love every time they pop in your stories. I'm like, oh, this is my favorite one. So I'm sorry, go ahead. Thank you so much. I love it. And it's that's your future. Like I love seeing your twins too. And you have double trouble. I love it. Um, and I have a three-year-old who's going to be four very soon. Um, I have MJ and then Jaya Roop. And, you know, I am actually, I have two weeks left of my grad school program. Yes, I'm so excited. Louisiana State University, I should be done very, very soon. Um, it has been a long time coming, especially doing that as a mom as a full-time educator, uh, that has been so hard. So kudos to all of the educators who are working and doing grad school at the same time, because it is not easy. Um, I love theater. I love storytelling. I love just having fun and cracking jokes. That's, that's me. It totally is. And, and, you know, when we were thinking about the first topic today and kind of where we wanted to have the first conversation about, we, you know, if, if people are listening closely, you may have noticed our intros were a little bit more involved than they typically are because, Jahora, you had the brilliant idea of today's topic. So share with everybody kind of what you and I are going to be discussing today. Absolutely. So I love talking about different aspects of our identity. I like to think about what are the parts of me that make me, me? What are the roles that I play that really kind of informs who I am as a person? So today we are going to be talking about the different roles that we play in our lives that make up parts of our identity. And we might even be able to talk about just intersectionality about how being one part of your identity plus another part of your identity kind of influences um, your trajectory in life. So, you know, and I, I love this topic so much because for me, this is still a fairly new thing in my own head. Like I, for so long, defined myself very singularly. Uh, I, was, I was this one thing, that was it. And I felt like as I began to own different parts of myself, that it was uncomfortable for me to say that these parts were me too, because it was like, I felt like I was bragging or I, I wasn't as uh, in-depthly involved in that as somebody else. And they may judge me if I say that I'm, I'm this or that. And so how has that journey been like for you? It's definitely be, been difficult. Um, and it's funny because as I was getting ready, I was thinking about this topic and I'm like, wow, I, how I identify has changed. It's evolved. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it should, and it does for everyone. Um, I think first and foremost, I identify as a black woman. Um, but I didn't always identify as a black woman and that's really interesting. Yes. Um, so growing up, it was always, you're black and Indian. You're not just black, you're Indian too. Right. And I was like, oh, well I'm mixed, you know, I'm, I'm multiracial. You know, I would come up with all these really interesting, like pseudonyms. I'm Blasian yeah. because I'm black and Asian, India's in Asia. So blah, 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 things like that. And I realized that. I wasn't saying that as a source of pride. 
I was saying it in a kind of self-hating aspect. Really? It was, yes. I was trying to separate myself from being Black. And that how I did that was by saying, oh, well, I'm also Indian. And it kind of just pushed aside my Blackness and kind of pushed me more towards being like that model minority, being um, that proximity to, to whiteness, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I got older, I realized that me identifying as being Black doesn't take away from, you know, uh, my ancestry of being Indian. Um, but being Black, is that's who I am. And it's just so much deeper than just, um, you know, uh, like my skin color or my DNA. It's, it's very much my culture. Um, I would say that my mom was such a huge presence in my life and my mom is Black. Um, so I adopted a lot of like black culture and things like that. And I didn't really feel as connected to Indian rather other than just saying, Oh, I'm Indian. I look kind of Indian. I have those features. So that's something that took me a very long time. I felt like I wasn't black enough. So I'm just going to not say that I'm black, but there's not one singular way of being black. You know, and what I find too, through these conversations and through these thoughts that we go through, you know, sometimes we, see so many stereotypical representations of something that we don't want to associate ourselves with it because of the way it's been portrayed. And we miss how diverse and beautiful that thing is, whether that is a particular religion we don't want to associate with publicly, or whether that is our skin color or the family makeup we have or whatever, because it's like, you know, I even think about now, you know, I consider myself a Christian, but I feel like now there are so many negative representations of what it looks like to be Christian that I find myself even now at times going, I'm uncomfortable. Like I find myself wanting to say I'm a Christian, but like, let me define what my beliefs are and how I represent my faith because I don't want you to say, Oh, so he automatically believes this or he thinks this group isn't worthy or, or, Oh, I've seen them Southern Christians and what they, and I'm like, no, like we're all different just because we identify as black or we identify as Christian or whatever. It doesn't mean that I have the exact same thoughts and beliefs as everybody else in that group. Exactly. That's true. And it's funny because Now that you mentioned that, I too identify as Christian, but now more so I say, oh, well, I mean, I believe in God. Mm -hmm. I have a relationship with God instead of saying I'm Christian because of the stigmas that come Mm -hmm. along with it. And I I know it's talking from a place of privilege because, you know, America is very Christian centered. But um, I I just feel like it's so important that like we kind of make those those distinguishedness basically we distinguish from being you know like christian or or bigots or things like that which a lot are and that's unfortunate um but yeah but you know but but i think that's in every group and i think you know what i want people to hear as as you and i talk and through all the conversations we're going to have on this podcast is we're very much bringing our perspective to this and so you know when i think when i talk about this i want people to know like i'm not dissing other groups I'm just being very specific in who I am. And yeah. so I'm coming from this as a place of, I'm not saying that that you're a terrible type of A, B, or C. I'm saying in my life, this is what I want to represent. And this is yeah. what I want people to know about me, you know? Absolutely. And Todd, so can we kind of pivot for a second and talk about one of your newest 
pieces of your identity right now. Can we talk about them, baby? Oh, my goodness. You know, this is, people talk about, I mean, at, before you become a parent, I think it's kind of like before you become a teacher. I know a lot of our audience is going to be educators, so I can t- talk to it from this perspective of before you become a teacher, you're like, oh, I totally got this. Like, I took the classes, get me in that classroom, I'm ready to go. And then, right. like, the first day you realize, there's a lot more to this than I was ready for. Oh my help, goodness. Help. <laughs> and so I think parenthood has been some of those elements. Um, it still feels like I'm borrowing these boys. Yeah. Like I'm babysitting and I'm waiting for their parents to show up. Like it's this right. real idea of we created these guys, they're ours and we don't have to give them up after we're right. done babysitting. I, I don't know. Did you have that kind of experience too with yours? Absolutely. For the longest time, I was like, oh, these are like my broke little siblings that just are always around me. Right. <laughs> it was it was hard to adopt that role of being a mom because I never felt, and sometimes I still don't feel maternal. Yeah. And I think like as as women, it's like, oh, well, you're, you're destined to be a mom. And I never felt that in my spirit of, mm-hmm. oh, this is something that I'm nurturing and taking care of. Um, and honestly, I feel like it was a, a little bit of imposter syndrome. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And I so, think, you know, for me too, it was, it, what I still struggle with now is, you know, when you grow up and sometimes you don't have the best representation of what a mom looks like or what a dad looks like or what a grandparent, any of those kind of things, when you don't have the movie dream book representation of that particular person when you have to step into that role it's awkward and for me I think about my own experience with my dad we have a very interesting relationship um he's been very absent most of my life um is somewhat involved now with the kids and and you wouldn't be able to tell a lot of that from social media but for me, it, that's probably been one of the most difficult parts is knowing how do I want to define what a dad is, where I do it in a way where when my boys grow older, they look back and say, I want to be the same dad he was. Like, I, yes. I, know, I know how to love. I know how to spend time. I know how to encourage. Like, and those are the things I'm pouring in. But at the same time, I kind of feel like, I don't know, like, like I'm not doing it as well as I could. I don't know. I, do you understand what I'm saying here? Yeah. Do you feel that you kind of look to your dad and your experience with your dad as kind of like a, for lack of better phrasing, like a non-example of how you wanted to be as a dad? I think very much so. When I look at some of the choices I make now, I make a lot of them based on, I don't want this to happen and this happened to me. So I'm going to do this. And, and, you know, a lot of the roles that I have taken on right now in fatherhood aren't what you stereotypically see men stepping up and doing. And I've been very adamant, like I'm very much about changing stereotypes. I I don't want to do things the way they've always been done. Like I don't believe a woman's place is here or a man's place is here. I believe that, you know, love is love. And the way you show that is how you, you show that. And so for me, it's very much of a, I've been taking on a lot of different roles that stereotypically wouldn't have been, a fatherly role in the kid's life, but that's because I want to be well-rounded. And that's not this towards my wife. She is setting the best mother example. She is loving on those boys, but I very much stepped in in ways and said, I want to do this. I want to be like, I took a month of paternity leave and I know that I am 
very much privileged with the job that I have now to be able to do that. Um, but I will say in doing that, it has brought a new understanding to me of maternity leave or paternity leave. It's brought a new understanding of single parenthood. So what I always thought I knew about what my mom did while raising me and my brothers, having a partner right now and being able to do it with a partner, I can't imagine doing it And it's it still alone. hard. It is yeah. still hard with a partner. It, so and, but I sit here going, it's so hard moments of this, but thank God I have Liz. But then I'm going to sit there going, what about all those people that are doing this by themselves and it's so hard and there's no support system. And so yes. the, I get emotional when I think about those things, even though it's not my life right now, I right. still, that's part of my empathy thing is, is I just sit there and go, Oh my gosh. And these people who are doing this on their own, I just want to go and give them a hug and go and buy them like a meal every day this week. Like, <laughs> those kind of little things are like, I don't know how you're doing it. Right. Like, let me hold your baby. Like you, you go take a shower. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Exactly. If only that wasn't weird to, to ask. Although I think I, I really just, that spurs in my mind, like just that village mindset. Mm -hmm. I just wish that we had more of that, that community mindset, that village mindset of we're all in this together. Parenting is hard as heck. Um, let me help you. Yeah. You know, like I just, I would love to do that for, um, for single moms and single dads too. But well, yeah. you mentioned that you're, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, you go. So you mentioned that empathy is part of, of you. And w would you define yourself as an empath? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. We, we took a survey of, of gifts that we thought uh, that we may possess when I was in high school. And I remember meeting with my advisor and they said, you know, you scored way above in this area. And I was kind of like, you know, what does that mean? Like, does that mean like, uh, how do I feel? Like what? And the, so they really explained it to me. And, you know, it, it really resonated with me so deeply when I had that conversation, because I thought that's the person I want to be. Like, I want to be someone who is always looking to grow and get better and does that through connecting with people on a really personal level where not that I fully understand what they're going through, but I know what pain is. And I can help and I can be a, just sit there and be a presence. And so that that's kind of been why I've made so many decisions I've made in my life is, is due to that empathy. And I would definitely say now there's other qualities of my personality that will take away from the empathy at times. Um, but I definitely feel like it's my biggest strength. What, you know, what about you? What do you think is, is like a strength that you bring? I would say Empathy in the form of like building connections, especially with storytelling. Um, I found that, and you always talk about like everyone has a story to tell and that resonates with me so much. I just, I feel like I have stories that will benefit people and it's not coming from like a, like a braggy sort of way, but it's very much like, I just want to help other people and I want other people to know that they're not alone. So one big part of my identity is being um, neurodivergent. So I. Well, that, okay, that's with, a big word. You're going to have to. Yes, talk about <laughs> let me break it down. So I live with um, anxiety and depression and also ADD. Um, that was something that was recently diagnosed. So, my mind okay, works. You, this is why we connect because, you know, I live with those same three things. Oh my gosh. We're so this, this is why we, we connected immediately. When, I, I knew there was a reason why. 
Yes, for sure. So I, I have learned how to kind of, I would say I'm highly functioning with mm-hmm. those things, but it is hard. And as I get older, I'm like, man, I'm just more tired because my brain is in a billion different directions. Um, so I just, I found that a lot of people, there's stigmas and people don't want mm-hmm. to talk about it. Um, but I find that once you do, once you take that first brave step, it gets easier to talk about. And then you have people that are, you know, sliding in your DM saying, I live with that too. I just didn't have the courage to say it. And that kind of like pushes me to talk about it more and kind of like, a, this is me. This is who I am. I live with this and you're going to know about it. Dang it. And there are other people that live with this too. So yeah, I would say those are um, huge parts of my identity. Well, you know- it's funny because for me, I just started talking about this a lot more publicly within the last year. And I think it's because my perspective changed as seeing it less of something I need to rid myself of and yeah. more of something that is a strength of mine. I just need to learn to harness it in better ways. Would Absolutely. you say that's kind of how your, your path has been too? Oh, for sure. For sure. Like I would say like with, with my, um, the three mental illnesses, which ADD, I wouldn't consider a mental illness, but with these three personality things that I have, I would say that I definitely, um, I lost track of thought. I lost my track of train of thought. What were we talking about? (laughs) We were talking about how the perspective changed from this being a problem and something I need to rid myself of to something that is a strength that I need to harness. Yes. So with my ADD, with my ADD, for example, I hyper-focus on things, which means that, you know, I will get fixated on something and I will get it done. And with that also comes, um, I, I never back down. I just finish things and see things through to the end. So I would say that's definitely a strength. Like somebody will say, no, this deadline is in an hour. I'm like, cool, I can chill for 30 minutes. And then the last 30 minutes, I'm good. I can do it. So that's, I've definitely learned how to harness that as, um, as a strength. I you know, and, and if anybody follows you on Instagram, they already know that that's who you are because of your, uh, your, your program you're in right now with your, your with getting your masters or, or it's masters, right? Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> didn't you just post like last night of uh, trying to get this paper done? Yes. So, so many people are like, Jahora, did you get your paper done? Or you give me so much stress, with it, but it's how my brain works. I need all of my thinking time. And I know it seems like, when you have ADD, it seems like you don't care about things and you're just always off doing stuff, but your brain just, it just works differently. Mm-hmm. And for me, I have to work up to the deadline. Yeah. So there are so many times when it'll be 11 o'clock. I'm like, this paper is due at one, this 10 page paper, let's get started. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but that's how I get my best work done. And like I do very well in my program. I've gotten straight A's the entire time, but it's just, I work differently. Well, you know, and I'm such a person too, that I'm so of a, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to do this or that. And so I think for me, kind of my process too, I really had to get to a point in my life where I was like, no matter how much work you do, Todd, you can't make this be a strength of yours without medication or without therapy or without this or that or whatever it is. And so it's so funny because my insurance probably hates me because during the pandemic, I decided if we're going to have kids, I need to get every aspect of my health 
in control. And I have been such a person that it's like, I'll deal with it when it's a really big problem. And so I've been, you know, seeing a chiropractor and I've been, uh, I've had scheduled some appointments with therapy. I've got my anxiety meds that I'm on now. The third one was the charm, but I'm on some anxiety meds. And so it's like those kind of things that again, I realize is a privilege of mine because I have insurance. I have the time because of the pandemic and my job to be able to get the help that I need, but it kind of sets this fire a little bit in me of, I wish I want to help figure out solutions for people who can't get that help. Because one of the things my primary care physician said is he said, you know, I'm going to put you on this anxiety med. He's like, but I really wanted you to get in with the psychiatrist because that's what their specialty is. They can get really specific with the meds. He said, I'm prescribing things that I think will work, but if you really want to be specific, get in with there. So we, he referred me, I called in big hospital system that takes my insurance. This was in, oh goodness, this was in May that I had this uh, appointment with him. The first appointment with my, with the psychologist, with the psychiatrist, January of 2022. And I went back to my PCP and I said, uh, they don't have any appointments. He said, right. He said, yeah, the pandemic has made it worse. He said, but that is ridiculous. And I said, well, you know, being a principal, I remember quite often when we would have students that would have some concerns and we would tell them, you know, go seek out some help, go get some professional. And they would come back in tears going, I don't know what to do. It's going to be six months before my kid can get in. Absolutely. That's unacceptable. And it's like, how do we fix that? And so, you know, I know I'm spiraling and talking all kinds of off topic here, but that's kind of what not only have I taken myself in consideration and really taken care of that, but it's opened my eyes to how difficult that can be for so many other people. So would you say that part of your identity is wanting to fix things? Oh, definitely. And my wife will tell you that that's one thing that drives her insane because, you know, I've been blessed in some ways financially. And so part of it is, you know, when you have a need, I want to step in, I want to help out. And so she's always like, uh, where did this money go? Who are you helping out today? Like, why did they need, why did you have to go and buy this many backpacks for that backpack drive? Like, we have stuff to pay too. And I'm like, we're fine. I'll, I'll figure it out. And she's like, stop right. helping people. We have us first. And so, but yeah, it's definitely a, a thing of mine is, is I'm very much of a, I want to fix it. I want to, if I can't fix it, I at least want to make it a little bit better. Right. For sure. I would definitely say that, um, that too. I just, just from knowing you for, you know, the past year or so, I would definitely say that you are very solution oriented. Like you're not going to pose a problem without possible 10 possible solutions that we can work through. Amen to that. Well, okay. I've got to ask a question while we're here talking about identities, because obviously you mentioned your kids and one story that I am obsessed with is your daughter not playing soccer. Oh my God. Every story I'm like, did she play today? Did she play? And I always check yes. Cause I'm like, yes, I, I believe today she did. And then I watch later. I'm like, nope, she didn't again. She didn't. So, okay. Here's the thing. Three-year-olds and sports, honestly, I feel like it is a scam because (laughs) none of those children play. You probably have like 20% of the kids that actually play, and they're the coaches' kids, okay? None of these regular kids that just live up the street that their parents are projecting onto them like, hey, get into sports. None of them play. They either will wander around pick some dandelions, some daisies, or they will cry, or like mm-hmm. my child, will sit on the sideline and eat snacks. 
That's what she's there for, Todd. <laughs> That's why we spent $180 for her to do. She yeah. didn't even get the participation trophy because she did not participate. She did not participate. <laughs> How do you not get the participation trophy? Everybody gets that. That is amazing. <laughs> So I got. So did she want to do something or were you kind of like, you know what, I want to start getting you involved in stuff. So, okay. So her dad was very much like, oh, we're going to put them in sports, blah, blah. And I was like, listen, this one is different. <laughs> she knows what she wants and she won't do anything she doesn't want to do, which is such a great personality trait because I know she will not be swayed by anything else. But he was like, I, I signed her up and didn't consult her. And so he regretted it. We all regretted it. I regretted having to wake up early at eight o'clock in the morning and seeing that my child won't do it. She I just refuses. She did not step on that field at all. I love every time I had hope for her. And then I was like, I just think she's got a kid that's like, you will never change my mind, mom. I'm not doing it. Like, this is my jam sitting here with the snacks. Right. Everybody was like, oh, well, she's consistent. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm out $180. And <laughs> I feel like, I feel like parents, like if you are listening and you have had a three-year-old that was in soccer or whatever sport, I feel like we should be entitled to some financial compensation because yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start a lawsuit and all of y'all just come and contact me because this was absurd. <laughs> I love it. Well, Hey, you know, as we wrap this up, I'd really like us to leave people with, with something because I think we're probably going to have people who are like we were a year, two years ago going, I don't really know what those parts of myself are. I'm not comfortable embracing them. So, so let's leave them with some takeaway, tangible, something like that. You go, you want to go first? You want me to go first? How you want to do this? Um, sure. I, I guess what I would say is, it's okay to try new things and to see what you like and to see who you are. And if you are like trying to embrace different parts of your identity, it's not fraudulent if you're a little bit this way or a little bit this way. So um, just learning to embrace it, that it's not singular and there are a lot of nuances to the aspects of your identity and it's allowed to evolve and it's allowed to change too. You know, and I think that's exactly where my answer was going to go with what you said there at the end you are allowed to change and yes. you're allowed to realize that this was part of your identity years ago, but it doesn't have to be part of your identity now. And I think for me, what I would tell people is your identity is not meant to please everyone. And so when you begin to embrace your strengths and your weaknesses and, and bring those into who you are and, and bring them into what you do, I think you have to realize that that's not going to be for everyone. And that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Right. It just means that, that it's not for that person and that's okay. It will be for someone. And so it's all about finding those people in your life who will speak truth into you and speak honesty and love. Um, but like I always do it from a place of love. And so I think you've got to step out there and own it and be brave enough and know that when you are brave enough to own your identity, you will have others unexpectedly seek you out to tell you that they appreciate you saying what you said or, or owning who you are because it made them feel more comfortable with their own self. Absolutely. I would say it's very liberating to like, just like what you like, be who you are, be your authentic self. And it takes, it's easier said than done. But once you do, like it's, it's freeing. It's very liberating. Yeah. 
Well, thank you everybody for joining me and Johora for our first episode of Honestly, Let's Talk Reimagined. Um, we will be releasing episodes, we don't know how often, but we're going to cover a variety of topics. Sometimes we may even bring on some friends of ours to help us yeah. have these conversations. But Johora, I am looking so forward to the many conversations we're going to have here in the future. So thank you for taking this journey with me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited to see where this thing is going to go. That's right. <laughs> Everybody have a great day. Bye, guys.